and welcome to Talking Bottom. I'm Paul Tanter. I'm Matt Brooks. And I'm Angela Pearson. And we're hugely honoured to be joined today by a very special guest. In the world of theatre, he's directed productions including The Grapes of Wrath, The Hunt for Red Willie and The Lovers at Versailles. He's appeared on stage in The Phlebotomist, Sweeney Todd, The Importance of Being Earnest, Beston, Sam Mender's productions of The Ferryman, and was nominated for an Olivier Award for his performance in Juno and the Paycock. He's appeared in films including Jude, Forstall Boy, Breakfast on Pluto, Veronica Guerin, Savage and The Journey. His television work includes Agatha Christie and The Curse of Ishtar, The Tudors, 13 Steps Down, Inspector George Gently, The Young Ones, a phenomenal turn in Cracker, and, fortunately for bottom fans everywhere, the role that is frequently cited as people's favourite guest appearance in the episode that is also often regarded as the fans' favourite. He's the man who Richie and Eddie tried to kill and eat when all he wanted to do was knock off early. To us, he is and will always be the gas man, gas man, gas man, Mark Lambert. Thank you for being here. It's an absolute honour to have you talking bottom with us. Good. Well, likewise, it's a pleasure and it's nice to revisit such a fun episode of this, I have to say. It's great. Do you Thank want you. a cup of tea? <laughs> It's the best, it's the best tea in London. But we'd like to kick off with how you got started as an actor, Mark. What was it about acting that appealed and how did you find your way into the industry? Well, funny enough, I was um, the son of a vet here in Ireland. And mm. um, I uh, was uh, fully intending to be a vet, but I was really, really stupid at maths. Therefore, I was no good at chemistry. Therefore, I was no good at physics. Very good mm. at biology. And I also took part in plays from a very young age. And like a lot of actors, got a simple pleasure out of um, pretending to be somebody else and making people laugh. Mm -hmm. And I think somebody once, when I went to the Bristol Vic Theatre School, I was asked what made me want to become an actor or what, what did I like about acting? And I said, well, truthfully, showing off. <laughs> Which is kind of strange. <laughs> they were expecting something a little bit more intelligent than that. But actually... It's just fun. And obviously that's what you get with people like Rick and Aid was that ability to just have fun and show off and have fun. But I mean, as well as obviously in my career, I have played a lot of um, fun roles. I've also played a lot of serious roles, but mm. there's a pleasure in that as well. Your appearance as the bank manager and the young ones like for you, uh, was that your first step into alternative comedy or had you done anything like that? Yes, in a way I had done a lot of comedy review. When I was at Manchester University, um, I was a year above Rick and Aid, and uh, I had we had a, a review company called Daft Turnip, and uh, Rick and Aid actually was hugely in awe of our company. We were pre, just pre all that stuff up, and you'd have gone to Edinburgh and made a splash and be picked up by a TV station. We were just all way too pure for that, which was a shame, but we did a lot of experimental comedy review. We, for example, we had done a, a review called Le Nave Brac, which is Daft Turnip in French. So we did a French theme and we all wore tights and striped t-shirts and berets and everything. We did, we took it around universities and everything and colleges as an experimental theater company, which of course it wasn't, it was a setup. So about 10 minutes into the show, people realized they'd been had and it was just <laughs> crack. And I mean, the idea of, I was the fittest looking person in a pair of tights. I mean, actors in tights, it was funny. And indeed, many years later, Rick asked me, not many years later, a few years later, at the Edinburgh Festival, and I was up there with a comedy review from Bristol at the festival. I was studying to be a serious actor at the time. He asked me to go on uh, the Fringe Festival stage with him to do a sketch that we had done in one of our comedy reviews. 
which entails wearing tights and yeah. um, doing a tambourine and doing experimental dance to symbolism and things like that, which Rick just managed to make hilariously funny. Is it possible that Daft Turnip was an inspiration for Rick's 20th Century Coyote then? Rick or Aid would be have to be the ones that would answer that, it, you know, God, God rest him. But I think um, I do remember Rick saying to me, you know, as you do when you're at university, you get influences. I mean, I'm sure Monty Python and all the previous sketch writers had influence on him. It wasn't just us, but we were, as, you, as happens, a year ahead and we were doing stuff that was a bit mad and a bit crazy. And he took it, of course, one step further with 20th century Koyoshi and death on a toilet and stuff like that. But he definitely uh, paid homage to us and he was always very respectful. So much so that at one stage he asked me if I'd wanted to join him in aid when they were doing the stuff in Raymond Review Bar. Mm. And at the time, I just thought at the time I was had just started, left the Bristol Vic theatre school I'd got a job with same year as Dan Day Lewis we got first jobs I don't know what happened to him um, <laughs> but um, we had a first jobs together in the Bristol Vic and I'd gone on some I've done I wouldn't call it serious drama but the Rick and Aid were really slumming it around the university circuit and mm-hmm. living you know which was part of the where they got their inspiration from but they um they were doing I just couldn't bring myself to do it could say I regret it, but I also had a different career and I enjoyed the career I had. And I always thought Rick was both a lovely guy and aid and very funny, but I just went on a different path. But when Young Ones came up, to go back to your question, rather interesting it goes, which is classic of comedians. Rick said to me one day, you've got to do one of the Young Ones. And I said, I'd love to actually. And he said, well, come up with an idea. So I came up with an idea. This is pre-Father Ted of the priest who ended up headbutting Vivian and being more wild than Vivian. <laughs> and he thought that was a great idea. And about, I don't know, six months, a year later, Paul Bradley, who also appears in quite a few young ones in Bottom as well, two series of Bottom, said to me, oh, that was a great idea of yours. And I said, what idea? He said, about the priest. And I said, what about it? He said, oh, sorry, do you not know? And I said, no. He said, oh, Terry Jones is playing this priest who headbutts Vivian. <laughs> Jesus, bastard. And, um, however, I think in we never talked about it because that's, you know, it's like comedians nicking jokes. That's fine. And I couldn't argue with Terry Jones. He's such a fantastic, he was fantastic Monty Python legend. Um, however, I think... In recompense, Rick gave me the la- that bank manager in the last episode of The Young Ones as the sort of um, crackerjack pencil, really. So, and I accepted <laughs> it gratefully. Was that your first foray into sitcoms? Yes, I think it was. I we'd done the very first TV thing I did was was down in Bristol. We filmed reviews for Bristol West or something like that. But it was it was a shocker. We'd done a really successful review in the Edinburgh Festival and packed out. But then what happened was that they filmed it with no audience, uh, with no set. It was the cheapest of the cheap. And I always remember being asked to get a crowd together, come down to watch it, to get canned laughter in it. And just like it's beautiful. So in terms of sitcom, yes. And I've done a bit over here in Ireland. I did a sitcom called Fergus's Wedding with Michael McElhatton, who is in um, Game of Thrones and various things. Um, and it was uh, amusingly so that I, like lots of actors, say, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Not really reading the scripts. And it was about swingers, right? And it was about, <laughs> so it, and my very first scene was in a striped 
pinstripe suit in a sex shop and I thought yeah, playing a barrister I thought this is great this is fine <laughs> from then on I was in a leather jock strap and shoes and socks in a house with <laughs> surrounded by women in brown panties and even nude people and I just went I had to pick my kids up the next day after all these episodes came out it was uh, one of those <laughs> things I thought ah next time read the script <laughs> every everyone everyone looking at you uh, wondering what, where they recognize you from that's amazing um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, at the time I had done a film called Evelyn with Pierce Brosnan. I played the education minister of education it was all about orphans and in the 50s and all that. And I had played done that and another series, a more serious thing called No Tears, or we call it No Laughs, about um, hepatitis C scandal over here. And it gone out at the same time. And I picked my kids up at school and said, oh, we saw you on TV last night. And I go, yeah, oh, no, of course it was that. It wasn't the other two things. It was, it was that. <laughs> so the image burnt, seared into the mind of me in a leather jock strap and shoes and socks. And so Is it off- still available? No. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. No, I said to somebody once, I said, I was talking to an actor over here who um, does a thing called Ross Carol Kelly, which is very funny, uh, but he said... Uh, I was telling him about this and I said, the great thing is, I said, it never got repeated because, you know, it didn't quite work and all this. And within about five seconds, he was showing it to me on his mobile phone, of course, because you, you can't escape your past, basically. <laughs> After the role of the young ones that may have been a sort of consolation prize, you then, several years later, had what many consider to be the defining guest role in Bottom. How did you come to get that role? It was a straight offer, and uh, indeed I was asked to do the second series as well, and I couldn't do it, it was too much to my regret. I don't know what part, but it was a bit like me. Uh, it, this happens to actors, you know. I got offered um, uh, what I wanted to... Uh, I, I like collecting these things, and I was um, offered a, an ep- a, a very early episode of Father Ted, and I turned it down because I thought, I can do better than this. I've got, I want a better part. And I suspected, rightly, as with Bottom, that this would go to a second more series mm-hmm. and uh, I turned down Father Ted only to be offered a fantastic part the following year as the cat the priest as a cat burglar in the Christmas special and accepted the part all done and dealed and then they said oh we're filming and I was doing a show in Tricycle Theatre in London mm-hmm. and two days I couldn't make film in Ireland and the whole thing fell apart and oh. it's one of those sad things anyway bottom I was able, it was a straight offer, didn't have to audition or anything like that. And um, yeah, it was just huge fun. And I can certainly talk to you about the few days of filming about it. Yes. What were your initial thoughts when you got the script and you were reading it and seeing what was in fate for, for the poor gas man, what, uh, all the things that would be happening to him? What were your thoughts when you, when you got that? Well, I, I instantly, I, I always thought Rick and Abe were funny anyway, and I knew that thing. The script was, when you read a script, sometimes at the bottom, you kind of go, oh, this is so basic, it's so straightforward. And you think, because I'd done a review, comedy review, I knew the characters were fantastic. I knew my character was a victim. And in a way, you could argue a straight man to their to their comedy. And um, well, not in a way, and very much so. And uh, I quite like playing, doing that. I think it's um, uh, underestimated, you know, sometimes being the straight man. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I didn't know where he came. It wasn't that he, I set him, made him from up north, but I, I was only um, like I was at the time when I was doing Cracker and Frost and Yell and Pasco and all those things. I thought 
he's English, you know, he's not Irish. So I played him as that. And the rest is kind of, there was a lot of work on the floor. And that's what Rick and Aid used to do. So they had the basic script, but there was an immense amount of um, improvising off it. And obviously, the case in point being the frying pan. <laughs> the kidding. So, so, so was there much change between the script and when you guys actually went into rehearsals and then did a lot of what ended up on screen grow out of the rehearsal process? I would say it was pretty... At this stage, Rick and Aid had got, I got much more disciplined about the script so to be fair a lot of it was the script but they would Rick in particular would spin off some of the lines when he was sitting down you know when he was talking to me and tell, telling me how much he loved me as the kid I think that was thrown in you know he, he would add certainly uh, but it, but it was you know to be fair to them it wasn't um, wildly different from the script but then physically there were things added. And of course, Rick and, and they both added their physicality to it, which you don't read in script. And then obviously, case in point of the frying pan business, that was completely improvised. Well, we heard a story via Ed By that there was actually a bit of rivalry between Rick and the sound man That's during exactly that scene. That's right. Well, how was that for you, obviously lying on the floor? Like, how I, I, well, I that? <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing is with actors, if you hear people laughing, you don't care. Pain, it's like uh, you get rid of pain. I mean, I, I did that play that I did in the West End that uh, at Juno in the Paycock, which I got an Olivier nomination for. There's an example of that where I was outside a window and I decided because it was raining and he's stuck out there and the roof was slanted. I thought it'd be very funny if I leapt up in the air and like he'd slipped. And so you see him jumping up in the air and collapsing. And I did that every night for God knows how many months, wrecking my elbow. But you'd be surprised at what happens. If, and even with padding, it was still wrecking my elbow, which I'm years later still suffering from. But if you get a laugh, you just go through the pain barrier. Mm -hmm. In this case, with the frying pan, obviously it wasn't, you know, it wasn't one of these. <laughs> so, but it was, um, it was uh, made of rubber, but I think he was only supposed to hit me about three times. Mm -hmm. And then he started doing it. And I thought, what's he doing this for? And I said, and I couldn't, and he kept doing it. And the more he did it, the more the audience laughed. Mm. And yes, and right after it, he told me he was just trying to catch the Sandman out. So yeah. everybody went, he was good. <laughs> and he kept doing it in different rhythms, as you'll see. And the Sandman was pretty good, actually, to be fair. I don't know what the result was, but he just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. I mean, that was part of Rick anyway is that he pushed things beyond what would you think was acceptable and it just was funnier yeah and, well, and so well, during the rehearsals then it was a much shorter scene and then on the night it was yeah it was, longer. It was extended I mean what on the night of uh, what I do remember about recording was Rick going out to and I think I did as well but they went out to do the warm-up and I thought, oh my God, it's incredible. Because I'd seen Rick obviously doing his stand-up in the Edinburgh Festival and places like that, where he's playing Richie Rich or whatever it was, Ricky Rich, and basically standing there bragging about how wealthy he was and how, <laughs> how, how sexy he was. <laughs> and, um, but he, um, which I suppose was a forerunner of, um, what's his name, Bastard. And um, yeah. he, he um, in this case, he goes out and he warms up the audience. So they're already fired up. So once you're on, and whether it's the bang of the 
thing. But also, for example, when we were rehearsing just before, and he, I think there's a bit with a fork, it was, I said to him, he said, well, I don't, I said, well, why don't you stick in my balls? And he said, <laughs> so I he said, yeah, brilliant idea. Now, obviously knew he was going to, we'd have to get special effects in mm. <laughs> to protect my, I have had three children since. And um, <laughs> so, he, so he got, he got, um, he, he, they got a bit of polystyrene and stuffed it down my mm. keks and um, stuck the fork in. That's the, uh, the level of special effects is we'll get some polystyrene yeah. and, yeah. and we'll, we'll stuff it down your trousers. I mean, it works so well, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah it, it, listen, they, they, they thought on their feet in the way that was their, what they've been doing for years anyway with, mm. with the shows they've taken on the road and all that. So it was part of that. And also I like to work that way anyway. So you come up with physical ideas, but I didn't, you know, beyond that, I can't remember how much I added, but the stuff with the tea and everything that was there in the script and cup of cold tea and all that, which was pretty <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> yeah. That looks like you're selling it, but I imagine it was just really great. It was just, I think it was water, whatever it was, but it was horrible. <laughs> no, I listened, you just react and doing it live was, fantastic i mean hearing the the audience laugh and there were a few there were a few um mis- you know mistakes and errors that occurred and he just pick it up and um mm-hmm. rick was um he usually made it fun when he made a mistake so the audience didn't mind mm-hmm. but yeah. they they were pretty you know it was a professional outfit so they wanted yeah. to get everything right and um, when, when you're looking at a script like that and it's and it's including things like there is an explosion of gas you know where there's literally a, a gas explosion um, and that yeah. kind of thing. Do you look at that and think, how the hell are how the hell are they going to do that in a in a sitcom studio? Yeah, I, I mean, some of the things that they did were fantastic. Well, of course, they had plenty of practice with the young ones, and they kind of the set was wrecked most yeah. days. You know, everything was wrecked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in a way, I mean, they weren't obviously the first people to do that in terms of comedy, but. There was no, that time, I mean, Young Ones was such a huge kind of breakthrough at the time from the sort of sitcoms that had been around, the traditional type of sitcoms. And um, it was, uh, they brought, you know, elements of, you know, the Three Stooges or all those old fashioned things to their comedy stuff that they'd been influenced by, I suspect, um, to that. And the physicality and the, uh, was all important. And then, the special effects of the BBC brought, which has always been brilliant that way. I mean, the BBC, that's why, you know, as an Irishman, I would say, please don't, don't run the BBC down. Please don't do it. You know, you know, the, the, over the years, it's sort of the jewels in the crown, your jewels in the crown, the NHS and the BBC. <laughs> and uh, you, you kind of go, because the expertise, I, I've done a lot of radio and, um, I've directed radio as well as being in them and the special effects boys, there's a real pride taken in what they do. That was obviously very evident in both the owners and in bottom. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, to a large extent, it was, it was like a score. It was scored and scripted and they would improvise off it and I would give it a chance, but there wasn't much that wasn't in the script. Yeah. Mm. Did you find it hard not to corpse when Rick was yeah. obviously <laughs> doing a bit of improv? Well, just even when I when I opened the door, when, it, when he opens the door, and I'm standing there going, can I have a... Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really hard. I mean, it was great fun. And they were corpses as well. I mean, they they weren't exactly um, straight as well, but they enjoyed, I think, making their guests corpse as well, giving mm. their guests a hard time in a, in a nice way, in a good way. 
<laughs> Absolutely, and it's genius. The the accent that you did bring to the role is is genius. Yeah, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> it's rather pathetic, really. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that you're Irish, Northern. Are people often surprised that you're Irish and not Northern? I think he's, he's... I think so because I well, I mean I spent a lot of time obviously it was at Manchester University. I then went to Bristol Old Vic Theatre School. I then was that. So I spent a lot of time there. I, I'm also what they call a, 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 a proddy Irishman. So I, I sort of had a, a middle-class accent anyway, so it wasn't really strong Irish. I have played really strong Irish parts, obviously, but I didn't, and, and, and a lot of the time, you know, as an Irish actor in England, you 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 can't survive just playing Irish parts all the time. You, you've got to adapt. So Cracker, DL and Pasco, the first episode of that, and the, my episode in Frost, etc. Sharps Rifles, I'm all playing English in that. And I enjoyed doing that. But um, yeah, I mean, I was, the story I was going to tell was that I was I live in a place called Greystones, just south of Dublin here. I moved back. I used to live in London uh, around that time. I was living in London, obviously, uh, for a long time. But I I it's down by the coast. It's just south of Dublin. Very nice place. And as I was walking down the road uh, about a year ago, this electricity van, right, with it's got ESB pulled up beside me. And he wound the window down. He went, gas man. I said, gas man. And I went, electricity man. And he went, what? I said, electricity man. Because actually, initially, I didn't know what he was talking about. Because nobody had mentioned, like, but it was surprising. There's a lot of Irish people had seen Bottom. And this was, like, stunning. He'd obviously just seen me walking along. He went, gas man. And he was in an electricity van. <laughs> how, long ago was, how long ago was that, Mark? That was about a year and a half ago. Okay, because we wanted to ask if fans do still yell gas man at you. And... Not many, but I've had, it's surprising. I cannot tell you that, you know, I might have walked off a stage playing King Lear. I might have played, you know, what got my Olivier nominations. But boy, the amount of times people have gone, were you the gas man? <laughs> <laughs> the old bald, the bald head, of course, still stays the same, you know. Well, I was going to say, Mark, actually, it's probably because um, bald men don't tend to age. And, and right. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your bum here, but you don't look uh, much older than you did when you were the gas man. Well, so you've, you've you aged very well. Me, it's my birthday yesterday. Oh, happy, oh, birthday. happy, happy birthday, belatedly. I was, I was 25. Uh, no, <laughs> but um, no, it does help in a way. You, you, you kind of, don't change that much. It's obviously got grayer hair and everything, but um, yeah. I look back on those some of those things and uh, with great amusement. And the, uh, actually, funny, you were talking about some of the films I was in. I I I, um, I don't know how it came about. I fell across. I was in a film called Prayer for the Dying with Mickey Rook, and I looked and I thought, Oh my God! I had to call one of my so my twenty one year old in and said, Look, I've got hair. I've got a bit of hair. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have a, have that sort of visual record of it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, I have to say, you know, Bottom was, and of course, for for you know, as a for my children, Bottom was uh, hugely popular. And even though they didn't live through that period, but they they were post that. But um, the comedy is um, does survive, mm. and uh, because it's physical and it's funny, you know. At some point, they were growing up. Did you sit them down to watch? Or did, or did they discover your, your episode of Bottom at some point? Uh, it's a good question. I think I played, um, no, I think I played it to them um, uh, the first time. It was a bit like, the, the, the two things they enjoyed was that Bottom, and I also played this character in Sharps Rifles, uh, where, called Sharps Regiment, where I end up, 
I've, I've got this wax black moustache and he's a total coward and he's a ghastly character and he's terrible and he, and he goes up and instead of, he's such a coward, he's got all his soldiers out instead of whacking with his stick, I again, I improvise, I, I ask for special effects and I said, mm. can, can you give this soldier um, shin pad? Because I think it'd be a cowardly thing to do is to go up to hit him and then go give him a little pathetic little kick on the shin and run yeah. away. <laughs> <laughs> so they like used to like that as a sort of bit of similar kind of physical comedy. I was going to yeah. ask, how old were they when they when they saw the episode of Bottom? Because if they were too young, they might have been terrified watching it, wondering what was yeah. happening to Daddy. What's <laughs> happened to Daddy? Yeah, it's true actually. Yeah, I no, I don't think they. I think there was I, when I got the fork in in, in the ghoulies, I think uh, I, my younger son was a bit concerned about that because he mm. thought he kind of didn't understand how they did it. The other two obviously realized. You know, I I talk to them about special effects and stunt, yeah. you know, stunt work and all that. Yeah, not about well, you going bus surfing as a hobby. They doing what? <laughs> they didn't think you went bus surfing as a hobby. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I, of course, the bus. Yeah, of course that. Yeah. Yeah. Gas. Your episode is joint highest uh, rated uh, of all bottom bottom episodes. Really. Along with the Christmas episode, the, oh. the, those two are seen are generally seen by fans as their favourite episodes. Wow. Um, here we are, thirty years later, talking about it. Do you remember what the response at the time was? Was what the sort of critical reaction was? Not specifically to my episode, because in those days, I mean, most of the, I mean, you know, I had friends phoning me up and saying it was great fun and all that. But A, we didn't have the internet in the same way to get immediate feedback. But secondly, reviewers would tended to review the entire opus or they'd review the first episode of Bottom. Mm. That was the norm. They didn't usually go, you know, up to a particular time. So mm. I'm not averse to you know, tearing up pieces of paper and sticking them in an album, I don't know who for, but uh, mm. for reviews. But there wasn't, uh, if I recall, that many. But it, what I did realise, the repeats, and then obviously certain times that some of those episodes, that, that particular episode seems to have been repeated a lot. And I get those, as you do with the BBC, little repeat fees for these <laughs> things, from the ridiculous to, in the past, some very nice things, you, you know, from Australia and all over the world, of course, mm. that Bottom was produced. You know. it's, it, it's, the, it's the gift that keeps on giving in, in more ways than one. Then. Yeah, well, the young ones was extraordinary. I mean, God knows what uh, they, they were still getting, you know, aid and co, because um, it was, they were so, they were repeated so often. I just hope that a younger generation gets to enjoy it as well, because actually there's not a lot on TV that covers that area and the and that age range because the age range was quite big. People underestimated how you know they thought, oh well, maybe it's for you know anything from fifteen to twenty-five. They said, no, no, it went way beyond that. Absolutely. Much younger yeah. kids and much older people. Yeah, and that's we were all young watching it. I think I was eight when I first yeah. got to, which yeah. is obviously not not approved by parents. But my no, older brother got me into it, and um, it, <laughs> there is nothing nothing that's been like it yeah. since. Um, there hasn't actually very very little since and um mm. it's sort of funny if i did a series uh, which was more for children called uh, roy and it was bbc bbc2 and uh, it was sort of the central character was a cartoon mm. and everybody else was human so he he's brought up by a family uh he and his sister and and parents and i was the headmaster called hammond and we, I think we did 52 episodes. You, I, you certainly can Google that. 
Mm. And um, it had a lot of physical farce, which I absolutely adored. Mm. So the, the cartoon character who goes to school and he goes and he lives at home has is aware he's a cartoon, can do things as a cartoon, but he's also treated like one of the one of the school children or he's in the class, but he keeps getting the better of uh, uh, it's like Pink Panther getting the better of a detective. So I was always the patsy. I was always forever, you know, ending up with, you know, his face down a vacuum clean or whatever. I was, okay. I was my face down a toilet at one point. Um, so there was a lot of that, but I absolutely adored all that. And that wasn't that long ago. I think that was only about eight years ago. So it's, uh, and it was hugely popular for a while and also sold all over the country. But it was really, what was sad was that, it wasn't shown to adults in the sense that it was advertised as children's TV, mm-hmm. but a lot of it was very much adult stuff. Uh, uh, particularly, you know, it was like a sort of um, office, particularly as, as my headmaster, he was uh, desperately ambitious and pathetic and, and paranoid. And it was good fun. Anyway, that, that, was, um, that was kind of the last... Actually, it wasn't the last comedy series. I did a thing, thing called the Ver- Women on the Verge, um, which Sharon Horgan produced uh, about years ago. Didn't quite work, if I'm honest, but um, it was fun doing it. Do you feel that Bottom has, you know, it's got an enduring affection because of the generation span that it appealed to at the time? I think so, yeah. I think it's two things. I mean, I think... Rick obviously and and Aid had um, a huge affection. He had a huge following, mm-hmm. and I think as people got older, they kind of there was a love, there was a nostalgic feel about it. It was like the perpetual student in a way, which we all have. I mean, you know, I was there last night in the in a in a restaurant for the first time in a long in about a year and a half with a group of friends, some very well known actors, and. Um, that you would know. And I had, I just, we suddenly realized we were just as childish as we were. I mean, it's one of the joys of, I suppose, being an actor is that you're almost obliged to be childish and maintain that kind of perpetual student feel in order to be free to create, you know. And um, I hope that I never grow up. And certainly Rick and Aid never grow up. Although you see Aid in quite a few serious dramas these days, but um, so you're doing a lot of interesting dramas like War and Peace and and that's right. Like that. The characters of Richie and Eddie were sort of the evolved versions of characters that we'd seen Rick and Aid do on stage as the Dangerous Brothers, and then in the Young Ones, and then in Filthy Rich and mm-hmm. Catflap. You got to be there with them as they were inhabiting Richie and Eddie. The characters, what do you? Uh, how do the characters strike you? It's often said they're sort of perverted, grotesque. Uh, but they but they're living in a sort of traditionally British sitcom. Well, they they that was what was clever about it. I mean, they 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 set it up in as you say in in what was in one room really. I mean, a lot of us was in in often in one room in, the, in that thing. I I mean, I I thought that um, they had a sort of ability to tap into. They both were physical and they had funny lines, but they also pushed the the kind of madness. It's a thing that you don't associate necessarily with British comedy. I mean, Irish people are quite, certain Irish artists always consider themselves, and in fact, probably to Father Ted was the first really, you might call, mad Irish sitcom. And um, we we, we don't have that tradition that the English have. And, uh, but that generally, and of course, 
we didn't make it. Channel 4 made it, I think, in the end, didn't they? Um, uh, but nevertheless, it was that group of people were, were and, and who knows, that I think those boys might well pay homage to Rick and Aid, actually, because a lot of the physicality in Father Ted was, you know, not dissimilar to, yeah. to some of the stuff that was there. Again, set in a kind of, you could argue, a traditional British sitcom situation. But I think what the, as all these things, whether the, even the traditional British sitcoms are remembered whether it's Steptoe or not so much Dad's Army, but what's his name? The, the Death is Dupart. Those things that were all character-based. The characters was, were strong. Yeah. And it was first and foremost, those people knew who they were and the relationships between them. And from that uh, comes the comedy. Yeah. If you distill some of the episodes of Bottom in any kind of, you know, if you, I always amused by the sort of idea of say, can you pitch the episode of Bottom Gas to a filmmaker or TV and say, look, this is what we're thinking. You just say, no, <laughs> you're joking me. It's mad. <laughs> but the reality- Can you- right, Go on. Carry on. Well, can you, on the subject of character, give us your opinion on what the gas man was about a little bit more? We don't even know his name. No, you don't actually. That's a good question. Uh, you don't know his name. I think- He's not idea- married. Either. That's the only thing. He worked for the gas board and he's not married. That's all we know. That's well, in a funny kind of way, you, you're right. He he didn't. Um, he he was uh, uh, what he was was supposedly very good at his job. <laughs> so he uh, <laughs> was good at his job. He, he was complete innocent in the sense that he trusted everybody. Sorry, he would trust people when he'd go around and think, but he didn't trust these two boys, obviously. <laughs> and he had a certain amount of, yeah, he was just going about his job. He's Mr. Jobsworth. So he was intent on making sure everybody was, you know, paying up and doing the right thing. And he was asking the right questions and uh, catching them out, obviously, all too easily. But I don't think he was, um, you know, in, in these things, you don't go into too much depth. There's no, there's no sort of, uh, I don't think you find Dan Day-Lewis playing this part. <laughs> Doing method gas man, you know. Are, are I just you say, spent four, are you, four, four months being a gas man. You know, are you saying you didn't spend weeks filling out the diary of what the character was thinking? I hate, I hate to say. <laughs> um, I don't know what he was going to spend his emergency fiver on. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Your episode also featured an appearance from someone who was also a very popular character in Bottom who only appeared in that episode. And that was the uh, the late Brian Glover, who uh, yes. was the, was their neighbour, yeah. Mr. Rottweiler. Do you recall your scenes with him uh, and what what he was like to work with? He was um, he was actually lovely because, uh, funny enough, like you, you you see these people playing. He played a lot of hard role parts. You know, he was a tough man and all that. But of course, like a lot of these, you know, people who you know, Colin Bell, all these people who play baddies, they're all lovely, soft people. Most of them. There's very few really unpleasant people. But he. He was, I don't think he had done a huge amount of, uh, I may be wrong, but I don't think he'd done a huge amount of comedy. And what I loved about Rick and Aid was that they were able to get people like him in particular. I mean, I was, a, I came from, obviously I was, I knew them and I'd, I'd, I'd been at college there and all that kind of thing. So it was a different route, but someone like Brian Glover was established and, um, and played a lot of serious roles as well. And suddenly there he is, you know, lying in bed with the thing. He did bring always that kind of mad intensity, which um, and and uh, 
Slight Madness, which obviously they bottomed, they they went from. But at that stage, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, there were people queuing up to be in in bottom. You know, they had no problem getting anybody they they wanted. Mm-hmm. Cliff Richard, partner. So. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you have any memories from your time as a student with uh, Rick and Aid then that you can yeah, share? Yeah, I do. I, 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 we used to have um, on Monday nights, we had a thing called the Stephen Joseph Studio. We, we were all at a, doing a course in drama, BA honours degree, mm-hmm. which was academic. It wasn't, if they thought you wanted to become an actor, you wouldn't have got in. So at the time I was going, I probably do, but I'm not sure. But when I got my interview, I said, absolutely not. And indeed, out of my year, I think there was only about two of us that became actors. Um, and but Rick in Rick's year, you had, you know, obviously Paul Bradley and there was a few of them uh, and Rick and Aid, etc. I every Monday night, there was a free performance. I think you could get a fiver for the budget. <laughs> and that was the budget. And there was a free, you put on a performance on a Monday night in this thing. And there was a mixture of terrible, terrible experimental drama to wholly pretentious to plays to, that were written by students to plays were, you know, established plays to comedy. And my first it was obviously my comedy review group, which lasted for at least over two years. We did about five or six shows. Rick started doing his stuff with 20th Century Culture, but I remember going along with Rick to <laughs> a poetry reading, because we were bastards, really, and we went to a poetry reading at the university, and I didn't have the balls, but Rick did, and he, stu- <laughs> he stood up, and he do, I uh, always remember one of his poems, which I still remember, he went, and people were generally getting up reading but it was very mean of us really but he stood up and he went I just went this is a this is a, 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 a poem called um moved and he went once 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 I went to the cinema I was moved twice <laughs> by the manager thank you and <laughs> <laughs> like that <laughs> once I, went to the, I was moved twice by the manager and then he did one where he went Theatre, theatre, Peter Hall. Theatre, theatre, Lauren Bacall. And he kept going on like this. And at the end of each poem, he'd say, thank you. And he sat down. And it, it took ages for people to realise he was taking the piss out of there. Particularly the thank That's you. fantastic. He all these books. So he just, he, ha- he was naughty. That's what it was. It wasn't nasty. It was just naughty. Mm-hmm. And um, I also remember another little memory was him in, I can't remember in what context it was but he did an extraordinary, I really wish I could have um, recorded it. He came on dressed uh, with, a, with a, a judge's wig and a cloak. Mm. And he had a song, because he actually was quite a good singer, and not a bad dancer. He went, and all I remember is the song was suddenly, I'm the judge and I know about laws. I've had my male menopause. I'm one of the country's leading boss. Oh, yes. And you do that kind of Rick Mayo kind of, yes. <laughs> Being the judges, jolly groovy, it's top ho, it's whiz, especially with my cap and gown on, it's just like showbiz, yes. Um, <laughs> sometimes I dress up as nursey, sometimes I just play with Percy. And it was all like this. Mm. It was absolutely, less, uh, uh, by this stage, the cloak was off and he had fishnet <laughs> stockings. <laughs> and I knew. 
I would. I don't know why he never did it again because it was fantastic, and the fact that it's remained in my head because I tend to. It's a bit like one of those children's things. Once I've done a play or I've done these things, I forget. It's almost like making room for the next thing you've got to learn. Because if you remembered everything you've done, your brain would explode. Mm. So I don't remember, but I always remember that, most of that song. In fact, I always wanted to ask Aid if he ever remembered it or recorded it, but it was genuinely funny. It sounds like you could have been there for the inception of Rick the Poet, possibly. The character he then... When I was yeah. using the young ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, the sad thing was, in many respects, that I wasn't around a bit more. I mean, it was a my perhaps they were they were they were lovely to me and respectful, but I I would have loved to have done much more with them. But mm. at the time, 20th century Koichi was I just went through a little phase of going, oh, it was a little bit too much for me. And the idea of going around universities and all that, I just couldn't do it. And mm. obviously, had I not yeah, I always wonder, would I have been part of the whole Young Ones uh, basic mm. setup if I had done it? But I wasn't, but they, they were fantastic. And maybe I would never have been, who knows? But I certainly enjoyed my time with them. And I wish I'd done a bit more with them. And, um, and I also saw Rick towards the end, uh, not actually not towards the end, but when around the time he just had his accident, after, uh, about a year after. Does it surprise you that the people are still watching Bottom 30 years later and and the people are still asking you about it? It doesn't, actually. I know it sounds strange because I I talked to my friends last night and I told them I was doing this. And um, they all said, oh, yeah, Bottom was great. And, you know, they're they're all mixed, quite serious actors, some of them. And, not you know, they've done the comedy. And um, Miranda Richardson was there, who's Queenie and, you know, things. Yeah, we love love that. She was like, she, she liked like them and uh, and it was a, it was a, some 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 of the girls not her but some of the girls found a little bit too um masculine maybe some of the <laughs> some of the stuff that went on but but um generally speaking i don't think people are surprised because it was it was good physical humor it wasn't obviously reliant on always on what gags or text but then if you look at larry saunders and all these things it's, the scripts are very straightforward and simple it's, yeah. it's a, again it's about character and what happens do you think that's why 30 years on it still endures it's a, yeah it's, i do yeah. yeah it doesn't surprise me at all and and the only and, and as we said earlier in the conversation i kind of wish that younger people got a chance to see it because it's mm. it's kind of bold and bad and naughty and mm-hmm. rude yeah. and crude all those things that you should be you know yeah. you know there are nest necessary in life absolutely the anarchy that still comes with even it. for us adults you know yeah yeah and yeah. that's what we often lament on the podcast that you know obviously we're we're trying to keep it alive talking about bottom and everything there are so many fans out there that still love yeah. re-watching but um, yeah. wanting a new generation to discover it yeah well i'm glad that i mean i think it's a good thing and and um hopefully you know the bbc will keep not not i'm not talking about my repeat fees, but you know, I do think it's <laughs> worth um, pursuing uh, because there's nothing, it's another matter if it's been replaced by something very similar. And, you know, it's not that one wants to keep referring to the past mm. as being great, but, mm. you know, there are, as we all know, there's certain TV shows that are worth treasuring and, mm. um, and, and paying homage to which is what so much, I guess yeah. you're doing which is so uh, much yeah. value in in comedy that's gone before you know I still love watching Steptoe and Son and you know oh, it, yeah 
it upsets me when I hear people say, "Oh, that was that was before I was born." Yeah, I know. Like, I know. Why I know. Do you not want to watch something that's fantastic. I know that he, and of course, Wilfred Bramble played step uh, mm. father. He was Irish, actually. Mm, he was, uh, yeah. You know, you know, oh, old. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually, I actually slightly um, channeled him in a. It, there's a. Um, a sort of soap over here called Fair City, which is the equivalent of East Enders for mm -hmm. Irish time, and uh, and I was cast as this terrible, you know, father of this one of these central characters who's really nasty and bad and all this. But I kept saying, make him into Steptoe. Be it's fantastic <laughs> opportunity that he's not. He is bad and nasty, but he's fun. You know, mm. in the end, you, you kind of go because he's both. He's he's you can see him being bad anyway they didn't and uh, I, I had already I wasn't going to stay in a, that particular sitcom anyway I, I was killed off quite right uh, well <laughs> stay, uh, you, you can save it save him for the next one that you get offered exactly yeah. I know with plenty of those to come um, and with ages I could, might be able to play him at the right age this time yeah. you know <laughs> while we've got you here I have to ask you this not only did you appear in my absolute favorite sitcom but you you've also appeared in one of my very favorite dramas which was when you appeared in Cracker, in what was probably its biggest storyline when the show was at its absolute peak, mm. with your character ending up being forced at gunpoint by Lorcan Cranich's Jimmy Beck to confess. Frozen. And then join him in a spectacular suicide off the top of a tall building. Yeah. Now, a role like that must be an dream. Well, that, that was a fantastic role. If I'm honest with you, stepping into that series, that was the last Jimmy McGovern script of, I mean, what came after was good as well, but that was the last Jimmy McGovern script. And it was like stepping, I call it stepping into a Rolls Royce in the sense that the, the actors knew their parts, they, you know, the, the script was perfect, the direction, the money thrown at it was just wonderful. So if you didn't give a good performance, it was entirely your fault, you know. And I, again, played, you know, I, I think I was asked if I wanted to play Irish and I said no he's definitely from Man he's definitely northern there's no point not doing it but it was it was um very exciting to be part of that uh series it was it because it not only was a hugely popular but it was also I got so much as you do sometimes when you an actor appears in one of these series that's successful mm -hmm. there's a spin-off that occurs just by dint of being in it so that mm -hmm. you people go oh you were in that the next job I then played a series of murderers, by the way. <laughs> and I, go, I, I met somebody the other, again in the village not so long ago, this woman said, you, she said, uh, you were in Cracker, weren't you? And I said, yeah. And she said, oh, I love Cracker. And I said, my husband and I sometimes uh, I like love taking computers to bed and watching episodes of Cracker. And, she said, and uh, I said, that's a bit weird, isn't it? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, yeah, I said, I said, funny enough, after that, I said, uh, I ended up, getting cast as sort of murders. And I said, I think they went through a poncho for, for people they thought was, you know, maybe benign people that look that you didn't expect to be murders. And she went, oh, I don't know about that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, literally in, you know, Frost, I was a murderer, D.L. and Pascoe, I was a murderer and all that. Anyway, the final scene in that, and funny enough, I was with Lorcan Cranish last night, as, as we speak. And uh, he, um, but he, he had to pull me off as you know, off the top of a building. And it was very scary. It was very hard. It was a big skyscraper in Manchester. And at one stage, I had a wire. We both had wires through our leg, down the trouser legs, and then round our waist. And there were three guys holding us. Now, we weren't obviously going to jump, but we were 
at the edge. And you, I'm not too bad with head for heights, but that was really scary. And then we did a, a 12 foot jump into cardboard boxes, right? So that camera's opposite, he's attached to me and we jump. And it took me and him about an hour to pluck up the courage to jump into only 12 feet mm. onto box. And we did. Of course, once you've done it once, you want to do it again, like a child. You say, oh, can we do that again? It's great. But they didn't. They said, no, no, it's perfect take and all that. The sad thing was that when it came to the stuntmen who were there, and I remember talking to the stuntmen and saying, is this bread and butter to you? And they said, no, 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 we don't sleep the night before. This is mm. really... And I didn't know that. And he said, no, no, he said, people forget that he said if you're not frightened you end up killing yourself yeah in other words it's the mad loopers that end up getting really serious accidents he said mm-hmm. stuntmen are very cautious and we and he said we are really nervous so they took three they go they were jumping in, in i don't know how many feet i mean it was just not no amount of money would have you know if they'd have, we, half a million i wouldn't have jumped nothing mm-hmm. uh, into these big airbags and they were obviously kitted out to look like us. Mm-hmm. And they jumped uh, the first, when we were there, they canceled the jump because there was a wind coming around the corner and the airbags were slightly lifting. Uh-huh. They canceled it something like twice. They were getting two grand for the jump. I mean, I, nothing would have made me do that for two grand. But <laughs> And then eventually, a few, about a week later, they did it. But And the guy... Uh, even though they've got those sort of harnesses around their chest, he broke two ribs doing the jump, the guy that played my part, but he also jumped the wrong, slightly the wrong way, which meant they couldn't match up the shots that Lorca and I had done jumping. So, so it would have been even more scary because you would have seen us coming towards you in the camera like that, seeing us jump, and then they would have cut to us as they did. What you saw was falling, uh, the falling men coming down the side so it was quite shocking anyway but it would have been even more shocking it was a shame he, because he jumped in a different way they couldn't match the shots so mm-hmm. but listen it was great and um i i loved doing it and i many years later I was in another jimmy mcgovern thing called bloody sunday which mm-hmm. um he wrote and uh he's, he's a fantastic i don't know whether you saw that his recent um Series with Sean Bean. Um, oh, uh, Inside, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah not, I've not. I've got. I've got that on uh, recording. Oh, watch it. Yeah. Watch it. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Cr- Cracker was like there's a finding drama of the nineties growing up. No, I've, uh, I've been been very lucky in that respect, you know, and um, I've had some nice gigs in my time, and mm-hmm. Bottom being one of them, of course. Yeah. You got obviously yeah. typecast as a murderer, but um, you know, not as a gas man. Not as a gas man, but no, maybe I've that's what the, gas man since. <laughs> maybe that's what the role in the second series was going to be for you if you'd Returning. been able to do the yeah. <laughs> second series yes. of Bottom. You came no, back and got revenge. You, they didn't actually. Uh, the funny thing was that that was the great thing about recognize that you, you just play a different character. I mean, yeah. Paul Bradley, as far as I know, played different characters in it, you know, and um, you just come back and play somebody totally different. And it yeah. didn't matter. I mean, yeah. I, I was in, it was a bit like the bill. I was in, I was in, in five years, I did five different characters in the bill, you know, <laughs> from, from tramps that were found, you know, uh, to, to uh, detectives and, you know, drunk detectives and all that. So. Yeah, you've played a huge variety of roles over the years. Would you describe yourself as a character actor? Yeah, I would. Yeah. I mean, the truth is that early career, when I set up, I would go 
up. I was always working. I was lucky. I always worked. I mean, my time as a, as a, you know, delivering food around London and stuff like lots of actors as an extra job. Oh, by the way, this is a good one. I was, I was driving a van for a delicatessen delivery service and um, I used to phone them up and say, listen, I've got a few weeks off. Is there a job? And said, yeah, yeah. So we did that. And there was one on my phone up and said, and there were two vans, two little vans that went round. And the other van driver was uh, Hugh Grant, <laughs> who'd just <laughs> come from Oxford. He's saying, like, yeah, I think I, I'm going to do a bit of acting. And I go, oh, yeah, well, that's what I do. You know, he's going, whatever happened to him? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. No, I, think he, I think he's still driving that van, right? Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's, um, I've been very lucky and I've had uh, a great time, you know, playing lots of different roles. And um, I direct as well, which... Um, you know, I enjoy doing as well, but um, obviously, and, and it's been, it's been, uh, uh, sorry, in relation to your question, sorry, in terms of parts, what happened was early on, I started, in my 20s, I started to lose my hair. <laughs> right. And and it, it's quite extraordinary um, how it did make a difference because mm. I kept, most of the times I got down to the last two, you know, there was a Carla Lane series of alcoholics, and I always remember the director, always felt, that must have been like for women, you know, when they had a certain gaze, male or female, you know, parts of their body when they're being interviewed. I'd have people looking at the top of my head mm. thinking, can we have a 27 year old who's going thin at the top? Mm. You know, not sure. So to answer your question was that I fairly quickly went into character parts. Mm. Theatre wise, not didn't make too much of a difference, but um, mm. I was never that, um, you know, beautiful juve lead, which of course, can end when you yeah. stop being beautiful <laughs> and then you've got nothing left. So in many respects, being character actor is, a, is quite a good investment, really. Yeah, you had a longevity, definitely. Yeah, yeah. What are you working on at the moment? I'm directing a production of art which, uh, with three guys over here. There was a big series over here called uh, Bachelor's Walk. and It was a hugely popular series. Now we're talking about I think it finished 15 years ago or something, but it was very popular. And the three boys from that are playing the characters in this. And it's street, what they do, because of the pandemic, what has been happening here is everything's been streamed. Um, and streaming is a bit of a, what I call a hybrid between theatre and TV. And personally, I'm not crazy about it. Uh, I've seen very little that has thrilled me, but it's necessary. There was no other alternative. You can't, you couldn't perform in theatres. You beginning to happen in England now, but still in Ireland, very little is going on in any spaces in the mm. theatre. So streaming is there, but it's also these shows. Eventually, when audience allowed back, will go out on commercial tours. So I've done two, another new play I did earlier, both directing and directing this as well. And I do that because I don't just want to take what's the next job, you know. Mm. Um, so as an actor, so it's quite handy to just be able to do that. And then I'm in something called Red Election, which is coming out fairly soon. I don't know whether it's, I play a Scotsman, I think it's Channel 4, but it's called Red Election anyway, and I play a Scotsman. And... We shall keep an eye out for, uh, for that then. Yeah. yeah. Mark, th thank you very much for joining last us. Last question. Today. I've oh. got one last question. Yeah, sorry, I, while my mic's, have you met any real life gas men who have had their lives affected by people shouting gas man at them while they're trying to work or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah the, the, there, was, there was somebody uh, when I was there in, in England at the time who said that, that, that they, they 
it wasn't a gas man, but they said that the, ga the local gas man was shouted at by several of their neighbours <laughs> who did shout at gas man, gas man. <laughs> and uh, no, they, there's no question of that. I mean, I, I never interviewed any particular gas man, but I know that happened. Mm -hmm. So if that electricity guy shouted to me in Ireland nearly 30 years later, gas man, <laughs> yeah. then you can be rest assured the gas board people are still being shouted at, I suspect. You do, you well, see free advertising, around, don't you? There are pictures online of people just taking photos of the vans and just, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and I suppose they still, I mean, and I'm sure there's a whole generation of gas men that don't know what, what the hell people are shouting at. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe that went into it because they wanted to be a gas man. Yeah. Who knows? Well, I think they, I think I hope I made lots of people want to become gas men <laughs> and, and know they're going to be attacked and stabbed in the ghoulies and yeah. uh, beat over the head by a frying pan um, <laughs> for their pains. Dangerous yeah. job. Yeah. <laughs> Rich, Richie and Eddie are the last people you want to see when you open exactly. the door. Exactly. Oh my God, no. I think I'll move on. <laughs> Mark, thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us here today. No, it's a pleasure it. talking to you and, uh, keep it going i keep me informed about what what you're up to it'd be great thank you very do. much we'd love to have you join us perhaps we might be having like a bottom convention one day we hope we happily so. do so and I'll, I'll come over if you're doing it in england i'll come over because mm. i'm backwards and forwards anyway i was in as you know that ferryman show i was in that for mm. six months in, in the west end no eight months in the west end and uh i then did a show at Hampstead. so i'm backwards Fantastic. and forwards anyway. well yeah when, when we do we'll definitely make sure it works yeah. out for your diary With thank pleasure. you so much for your time mark thank you, thank you very, very much. much indeed all nice the best to meet you all bye bye, bye, -bye.